This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to join me on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you who are tuning in for the very first time. Uh, Thanks. Before I even get into anything else today, too, I just want to give a thanks. I've been hearing from people more and more about the podcast. And I'm going to take an episode once and actually share a lot of those shout outs that people have been giving and things they've been saying. I I have no idea. If people don't tell me, I have no idea who I'm helping. Uh, It's a passion work. It's it's, it's something that we're just driven to do. I I was asked by Michigan State University to do a podcast on UX. Uh, I complied. It's something I had been thinking about for a long time. I've already been doing or was already doing a lot of talks everywhere, but I never would have thought that I was having the impact that I'm having based on what I've been hearing from people. So I just want to give a special shout out today to all of you who have taken the time to give me input. Those of you who've taken the time to give me topics, to give me suggestions, responding to those requests. Thank all of you for listening. Thank all of you for understanding because it is indeed Truly, uh, it's an honor and it's great to be valued and to be understood and appreciated. And and I know a lot of you, especially those of you who I do get to talk to from time to time, know that people don't all, they, they don't, everybody's not on board with the stuff that I'm talking about here, uh, including a lot of people in the UX community. Uh, I'm very thankful for even sometimes a shout out I get from some big names that I won't share. I'm not going to name drop here, uh, but uh, it, it's really nice when you hear from people who are pioneers who talk about how they appreciate what what I'm doing for the community. So uh, it's a labor of love, folks. I'm, I'm glad to be able to do it. I'm glad to be able to help. And I love helping to vault the discipline forward. That's that's my passion. Uh, that's why we're here. Um, uh, not gonna, not doing what some people say we're doing. Uh, I'm gonna have an episode too, thinking about having an episode where we respond to the critics because we get <laughs> uh, we get worried about things that they say and do as well. But um, you know, we're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're not trying to do anything. I'm not trying to be an influencer. If you get influenced, fine. We're, we have no regrets with that because we're giving you things that are going to help you. But I'm not out here seeking celebrity status. Don't care anything about that. Couldn't care less about it. So the, it's funny, the people who accuse us of that, that's actually what they're doing. But uh, we're, we're here to just help the discipline. And, and I rejoice. My reward is when I see people go forward. My reward is when I see people who are actually able to get those first UX jobs, those people who are able to have successful interviews 
people who learn more about the discipline, who who buy into the fact that when you do become a UXer, you are opting into lifelong learning. And the people who believe that, embrace it, and and start to make that their business, that they're going to grow, they're going to learn, they're going to go forward. So just have to give this little shout out today. And those people who have been giving me that information, in many cases, have been making my day. Uh, my week, <laughs> sometimes my month with things like that. And so we're really happy about that. So that said, we're going to get into what I think is going to be a two-week thing here. Uh, and then we've got a special guest that we're planning to have on in the not-too-distant future. Uh, we're going to run into that. I don't want to overlap. I don't want to split things up. And I don't think it's going to take a long time to cover what I want to talk about now. But I saw a post on LinkedIn and a person was a shout out to that person. I'm not going to give their name, but that person knows who they are and they listen to the show as well. And the person was, was challenged. I don't know by who, but they were challenged to go to a local site or a popular site. I should say not local. They're all local. <laughs> if you type in URL, we'll travel. But the person went to the website. They were challenged to go to a website and to perform. You're not going to believe this. Some of you are not going to believe this a heuristic analysis to go to a site and to do an evaluation of the site's usability. I'm going, wow. And, and the person took the results and posted them to LinkedIn for everybody to see and just to see the expertise that was on display. To see that, I, I love, one of the things I love about a heuristic analysis there's this really calm uh, confidence when it's done right that that is on display. There, there's a degree of expertise that people who don't know anything about the discipline, they get to learn. And when you do UX work, you're always convincing somebody or demonstrating our value. And when I saw the work that the person did, I was just, just bravo. I, and that's what I, I typed in my response to the work that the person did. What the person didn't know that they did was that they inspired me to cover this topic. And so I want to spend some time tonight and some time with next week's podcast, next week's episode, just talking about heuristics, talking about what it means, talking about what it means to us as user experience professionals, its place in the discipline, and just provide a few tips here and there. There's also a brand new blog post on Medium on uxuncensored.medium.com that's talking about this topic. And I try to write those so you can read it in five, six, seven minutes tops. Uh, that's a six minute read. So there are some insights there with a bunch of references to help people because folks, we need to get back to the future when it comes to trying to vault UX forward. And that's going to require us not tapping into a bunch of this newfangled stuff that's coming on and where people keep trying to rebrand things associated with UX. We need to go back and embrace the four pillars, the heuristics and usability, information architecture, UX research, real UX research, not some of this flawed, like trendy stuff that people are doing today, but real research, UX research, not where people are trying to convert it into academia research. This is UX research. It's different. 
uh, and interface and interaction design with people, the UX, UI people sort of go there and don't even know that that's what they're doing. Uh, and UI is a subset of UX. It's a part of it. But if you don't you do UI with the other aspects of UX in tow, there's no way that UI is going to really work. So just a little tip there. and We'll probably talk about that in, in an upcoming episode as well. But tonight, I just want to talk a little bit about heuristics. I want to shed light on heuristics, hopefully put heuristics on some folks' radar because a lot of people, they don't know what information architecture is today. A lot of people don't know what content strategy is today. A lot of people have no idea what heuristics are today. I actually delivered a talk once on heuristics and there was someone who attended that talk uh, on World Usability Day, and the person was just really excited about it. They were really stirred up. They were gung-ho, and they went back and told their team, and their team responded with what I refer to as intellectual violence. They didn't want to hear anything about the topic. They shot down everything that the person said. They blew the person off, and when people don't embrace the true tenets of this discipline, they set themselves back, they set their teams back. They set the discipline back. A lot of people wanted to get into UX so much that they wanted to basically pare down UX to a, a, a smidgen of its actual self, come into the discipline, and then celebrate because they were in UX. We can only celebrate when we do this thing right. And heuristics is a part of of that. So we want to shed some light on these things today. And I want to start with a quote as I get into this topic. There was a a predecessor, if you will, of UX. The person was actually an instructional designer by the name of Henry Dreyfus. And he made a a fantastic statement. I love his book. It's called Designing for Change, and he was all about delighting users. That was his thing. I mean, this guy, he worked as a stagehand. That's where he got his start in his career for plays, trying to make sure that the experiences that the people attending the plays got the optimal experience. I don't know if anybody of you under the sound of my voice have ever seen something like Phantom of the Opera. If, if you don't like plays or you've never been to a play, wow, to see that play the way that they put that play on, the way they transform the stage, the way they transform everything to make even the audience a part of the play, it really causes this level of immersion that you never thought you could experience going to a play. That kind of a mindset is something that Henry Dreyfus pioneered, and he went on later to design the, the Hoover vacuum cleaner and the first Bell telephone this guy was amazing, but it was all about the user. So he wasn't a UX professional, but when you think about UX in its, in its proper context and you look at it from a historical perspective, he called himself an industrial designer, but he was really what we'd call today a UX designer, even though it's a lot of what he did was more with regard to things such as the ergonomics uh, things of that nature, where UX, that that how, how UX extends outside of the digital, because for a lot of us, we only think of UX from a digital perspective. We don't understand that UX is actually pervasive and it's not limited to the digital. Get that book, 
if anybody out there who loves books and you love being able to tap in and it's like sitting at somebody's feet, the things that that person wrote were just fantastic. But at any rate, here's, here's this quote. He said, when the point of contact between the product and the people becomes a point of friction, then the industrial designer has failed. Isn't that awesome? And he went on to say, on the other hand, if people are made safer, more comfortable, more eager to purchase, more efficient, or just plain happier by contact with the product, then the designer has succeeded. Isn't that where we are today? Whether you're working on websites, mobile apps, it doesn't matter what you're working on. We want to delight. We want to make people eager. We want to make their their experience more efficient. So that's at the core of what we do. And heuristics helps us to accomplish exactly that. I mean, think about it. When you're working on something, and some of us, what I'm about to say applies to many of us, and if you have an experience, what I'm about to say, uh, keep living. Uh, chance more, likely, more than likely that you will, where you'll work on a project and you don't have time to do research. What do you do when you can't do research? Well, when you can't do research, you always have Heuristics. So somebody is saying, well, what are heuristics? I've heard them mentioned before. Can you help me understand this? Sure, sure. Think of heuristics as best practices, proven principles, common conventions. And I used to just describe it and talk about those three. And I actually look back into my own archives and I used to mention a fourth. So I'm going to bring it back in here. Now, reliable standards. So best practices, proven principles, common convention, reliable standards. Basically speaking, things that we know work. Either research has already been done or something's been done so much that we know that this thing is going to work. I mean, think about it. The logo in the upper left-hand corner of a webpage, that's something that just became common convention. And people, when they're not on the homepage, a lot of people, if they're anywhere beyond being a beginning user of the internet, they know that if they want to go back to the homepage, that they can usually click that I, that logo, I won't say that icon, that logo, and it'll take them back to the homepage. That is a common convention to the extent that now if you do design a website and you don't include that functionality, and by the way, according to Jacob Nielsen, it should not be clickable on the homepage. That is a heuristic. Folks, why you're already on the homepage. Why would you click to go back to the homepage? So best practices, proven principles, common convention, reliable standards, and they're all actually rooted in research. There's data to support these things. And I, I should throw this in here now. I've heard people and I've seen people, they hear the word heuristics and they do what I call buzzword slinging. They, they or what, what's akin to it. They hear the word. They try to digest it in five seconds, and the next thing you know, they're out there using the word. They think they're practicing things in association with the term. You're not going to get heuristics in five seconds. It's not going to work like that. You're not going to come into knowledge of best practices in five minutes. You're not going to learn proven principles overnight. This is something that you build that's what I call a personal heuristics repository because either you've done research or you've done some kind of studying or you've seen something so many times that you know that something works. And that's when, because there's data backing it up, 
that's when you can say that that is a heuristic. And once you know that something is a heuristic, now you can use that. You can use it in your designs. And one of the beautiful things, one of the things that I think is just absolutely fantastic about heuristics is that it can be used from a formative and a summative perspective. So these proven principles, these best practices, these common conventions, these reliable standards can actually be used to inform your design so that when you're doing design, when you're in Figma, for people who are in that crowd, if you have a, a nice, sound, personal heuristics repository, in other words, the knowledge of these things that will inform your design, you can make sure that you design things so they're already aligned with heuristics up front. And do you know that the more you know about heuristics, the stronger of a personal heuristics repository you have? Do you realize that that will even inform or help streamline your research? A lot of people, because they don't know anything about heuristics, end up factoring heuristics into their research, which is wasting time, it's wasting money, you run the risk of exposing your participants to, to participant fatigue, and so now don't you want them to be able to complete the, the research session as quickly as possible? They want to. They don't want to be there any longer than they need to be, whether you're incentivizing them or not. So heuristics is really, really, really valuable. So getting ahead of myself a little bit, but let's talk about a few things here with regard to heuristics. Now, those of you, you may have heard the phrase heuristic evaluation before. I mean, we mentioned that, I believe, already. They're also known in some circles as usability audits or they're, inter they're, they're interchangeable. Uh, they are known as expert reviews. There is a version of a heuristic analysis. It's not exactly a heuristic analysis, but there's a version of a heuristic analysis that's referred to as a cognitive walkthrough. And I like to think of these as a heuristic analysis on steroids where you are performing a heuristic analysis. In other words, you are evaluating various aspects from a cognitive walkthrough perspective. You're actually going through tasks. You're looking at how does a user perform a particular task. And you're looking at every step, every subtask, every touch point, every micro experience, and you're looking at it through the eyes of the task which will help you to find things where doing a standard heuristic analysis might not. And with a standard heuristic analysis, you're just looking at things. You're looking at the navigation. You're looking at the way that the content is flowing on the page. You evaluate the global nav against the footer nav to see if there's any inconsistencies. I mean, there's a lot of things that are taking place, but when you're doing a heuristic analysis, you're not necessarily looking through the eyes. In fact, you're not looking through the eyes of tasks Whereas with a cognitive walkthrough, you are. So that's the difference between the two. Personally, I like to do both. I like to do the heuristic analysis because you can just do it in passing. Uh, just go through whatever site or, or mobile app, whatever it is that you're designing. You can go through that and perform your heuristic analysis. And then I like to go back later. And I find that a cognitive walkthrough a lot of times will bring something to light that you would have missed otherwise, but you also get to look at it through the eyes of the users, but at the same time, applying your own UX acumen 
it's a it's a can't lose situation. You're going to see things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. You'll be able to highlight them. And if you're doing it from a formative perspective, to touch on that once again, you're looking at it as you design, before you go into research, you're looking at it ahead of time, and you can look at it from a summative perspective. So you can look at it before you wrap up. You can look at it after the fact. Uh, from a summative perspective, uh, you're also looking at that when you're about to do a redesign. Uh, it, it's almost, I mean, some people might call that formative, but you're you're looking at it from that perspective because it already exists. It's already been deployed. People are already using it, and you're drawing all these conclusions. It's really, really, really powerful stuff. I, I really was taken aback when I, when I found out that the people at that one company big company too, really big company, were pushing back on what the person was trying to share with them about heuristics because, man, it, it'd make everybody's job a lot easier. You're going to bring a lot more value. And as part of what I'm going to share before we're done with this little two-weeker, there are things that if you present heuristics the right way, because we end up evangelizing whether we like it or not. You, there's always an opportunity or a need to educate stakeholders about UX. And heuristics is a dynamite way to do it, especially if you use certain models. I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself in talking about it, but if you use certain, there are certain heuristic models that if you present them, if you allow people to see them, I used to take one that I'm going to share till next, or say till next week, the one that I used to, I, I had put on the wall at one company where I worked at, people would stop by regularly and read it and they would digest it because you could have some fantastic UX people on your team, but if you don't have people in your corner that are uh, amongst your stakeholders, the uphill, uh, the, the, the little uphill climb that you do is going to be even more steep. So taking the time to provide education, that pull kind of education where people come in and look at it when it's convenient for them or when they when they have an appetite for it, that's something that could really vault your practice forward. So something to consider, something to think about there. Now, one of the things I want to do, and I'm actually pulling, going back and pulling from an old talk that I did. There was a lot of things that I covered in that talk that I gave on World Usability Day. And I just think there are some things here that that people could would benefit from hearing. And this talk has never been recorded. So I've delivered the talk two or three times. And and there's no there's no video of it anywhere. And it's to the extent that I might actually record something separately. But let's let's start. I gave you a lot of, of, of information there. Let's take a couple steps back. I told you what a what a heuristic analysis or what constitutes heuristics. It's probably a better way to say it. And so I'm going to say a few things here. It might be a little redundant, but bear with me. So a heuristic evaluation first. Here's another phrase. I forgot this one. It's a usability inspection method. So think of it as usability inspection. You're more likely going to see usability audit more, uh, but this one, it does, it does uh, pop up from time to time. It's a usability inspection method that helps to identify usability problems in a user experience. Now, isn't that what we do? Don't we seek to optimize usability? You bet we do. So, so that's key, something important to note. 
Heuristic evaluations specifically evolve evaluators, that be you, that be me, who analyze the interface and we judge its compliance with recognized usability principles. And, and there's that, that word again or something alluding to what I mentioned, uh, best practices, proven principles, common conventions, standards, if you will. Heuristics are reliable. They are trustworthy. And, and here's where some of the, it helps us to manage some of our challenges in UX. Heuristics help us to overcome bias. They help us to overcome politics because we we serve them up as a reference point. We, they end up, they should end up being a part of the documentation that we share with stakeholders. And when people see it over and over again and they understand where we're coming from and that we said this and this is why we're saying it, uh, then that helps with the politics management, which is our job, by the way. Uh, it overcomes self-directed design. It overcomes genius design. A lot of people don't need to say that. People don't even know what that is. Genius design deserves its own episode. And the big one, hippo influence. The hippo, a lot of people haven't heard that. That's an acronym, H-I-P-P-O, stands for highest paid person's opinion. And a lot of times when we're trying to do our UX work, the hippo can derail us. And, and please catch the way that I'm about to express this. I'm not saying that you present heuristics and it's this um, silver bullet that's going to solve all of your woes. There are no silver bullets. There is no fast way. There is no short path. There is no microwavable popcorn that we're dealing with over here. What it does is it provides a, a, it puts your flag in the ground. It helps establish standards. It helps establish a mode of communication or at least a place where we will communicate. It it helps people to understand where we're coming from and every other discipline has standards. And one of the reasons that UX does struggle in many places is because people don't think that we have standards. I, I know professing UXers and that's all they do is run around talking about how we don't have standards. They've only been practicing for five minutes, but they want to say that. No, we have standards. They just don't know them. So heuristics is a great place to, to pitch a tent, so to speak, to, to set up a flag so that people understand where we're communicating from, where we're going to go back when we're trying to communicate things about designs. It is the most reliable place that the UX professional can operate from. Heuristics. There's there's nothing else like it. There's there's nothing else. Even all of the standards in IA, they're all heuristically based. So any standards in research, they're all actually heuristically based. Any standards in in interface and interaction design, they're all heuristically based. So heuristics are that's the place where we should camp out the most. I always refer to it as the first. It should be the first thing out of the UX person's tool bag. I referred to it in the talk that I delivered for World Usability Day as the Holy Grail. So it, it's really critical that we understand this. And a last bullet point uh, for this quick overview is that heuristic evaluations, according to Jacob Nielsen, and he wrote this in 1989. Wow, 89. They are the most popular discount usability engineering method on the planet.
So, and it still is worth its weight in gold today. And, and people need to know and understand that. So let, let's share a few little factoids here also. Um, heuristics, it's so powerful and it's so helpful that depending upon the number of people, this Jacob Nielsen established this as well, the number of people that evaluate your design with it's with five people, with five people, you could fi- find, I mean, with, this is with no research, folks, 75% of problems with a design, with five people doing a heuristic analysis and then take everything that they find and bring them together, 75%. If you up that, if you double that number, now you start to get less, less ROI as you increase the number of, of evaluators, but when you get up to 10 people, you can find just shy of 90%. And, and uh, please know and understand that heuristics are not a fix-all. Yes, there are times that if you don't have research, you're going to have to lean on heuristics. I've done it and succeeded dramatically, and I still will do it to this day if the, if the circumstances call for such. But one of the things that I do know is that, as explained by this, this graphic I'm looking at with, with Nielsen, is that with heuristics, you are not going to find, according to Nielsen, more than 88 to 90% of issues with any design. How do you fill the gap? With research. So heuristics can find 50, 60, 70, 80, 90%, and then research should fill the gap. But if you don't use heuristics, you're trying to find all 100% with the research. And because a lot of people today don't understand that research has to be designed, that's going to pose some issues if the people don't know how to design the research. Now, if people don't know how to design the research, then folks are going to find less and less and less of the issues with the design. When, if you have somebody who's being rooted and grounded in heuristics and putting heuristics to work there, oh, you just, all you have to do is, it's almost like you're just showing them flashcards. The more skill a person gets with heuristic analysis, the more they find it becomes effortless. It becomes a, a, a natural response to call out an issue with a design. It's a thing of absolute beauty to see it. And if you, like me, commit to building your personal heuristics repository, that's something that's really going to help you out. It's going to help your team out. It's going to help out your internal UX maturity level. It's going to help out the team's reputation within the organization. I I did a, I'm going to start to wrap up and close here for today and we'll pick up here next week, but I'll close with a story and I actually believe this was one of the stories I told during during the the uh, memory lane segment. So I'll, I'll condense it a little bit. But I came through the door at a company that had just come out of bankruptcy, and I was designing this company's English as a second language language platform. The first thing they gave me was, "We want you to work on this redesign." As I said, the first thing out of the UXers toolbox should be heuristic evaluation. I took this site, I I sat with people, I interviewed them, I found out any pain points that they knew about. I did try to get a download on the the project that we were working on, but I got busy and I 
I still have a copy of that heuristic analysis to this day. And I started looking at the site from top to bottom, inside and out, flipped that thing over. I looked at it from every angle that I could. I documented findings. I documented the recommendations and I documented the benefits. And I, I remember the, the page or the, the document, the, the presentation being roughly 45 slides long. And each one of those pages had at least two or three heuristic findings on them. And when I gave this presentation, when I completed the heuristic analysis and they asked me to give the presentation, they did not tell me that the C-suite was there. Now, the company had just come out of bankruptcy and they were not really, I found out later, they were not really bought into UX. But when they saw me present these findings, when I talked about the recommendations, when I talked about the benefits that we would gain by making these changes, and this is a multi-million dollar project that we're looking at, not only were we successful on the project, but the C-suite gained, and I wasn't even trying. I was just, <laughs> I was just reporting out from a heuristic analysis. They gained an understanding of UX, and one of them was quoted as saying, this is what UX can do for us? They bought in and the, our, our, they, they just basically came in with a blank check and our team grew and uh, there's some other stories associated with that I won't get into, but it was a success at the time. That's what heuristics did for that project. That did get deployed, by the way. It is live out there in the wild today. People are using it. It's successful. The company generated a lot of profit off of it. People all over the world are learning how to speak English uh, as a second language because of the overhaul, the redesign that we did for that, that was rooted and grounded in heuristics. So folks, it is a powerful, powerful, powerful tool. And a lot of people are fighting against it. And the people who fought against it at that other company, they fought against it because they didn't want to do the work to learn the heuristics. And, and so, yeah, and, and slowfulness is a problem in UX today. A lot of people, they want UX to be easy. It's not easy. It takes work. And those people who are willing to do the work, there's a lot of great things that await you. And in this age where we're now, there's word that the discipline is starting to shift slowly, starting to shift back to the generalist, which means that people who are going to prolong their careers or the ones that do are the ones who start embracing the other aspects of UX that they don't know about. Heuristics is one of them. If you don't know anything about heuristics today, I highly recommend check out that new blog post at uxuncensored.medium.com. I just wrote it right before I recorded the podcast today. Check it out. It, it really gives a story of what's been going on with UX, and it talks about some of the benefits of, of heuristics, and, and I provide several resources that you can use to get started in heuristics. And it should be something, again, when you get into UX, you're committing to lifelong learning. Embrace it. Start learning it. Start growing and watch heuristics. Watch how it fuels your career trajectory. Watch how it helps you to bring value. Watch how quickly it helps you to bring impact in your design projects and, and you will not look back. It's a thing of absolute beauty. But folks, that's it. We're gonna wrap up here today and we'll pick up with this little two week 
topic next week. But until then, it's time to sign on. So this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.